0: Hi, welcome to the Legacy Lamp Podcast. I'm Jennifer Lemaster-Stover, a nurse practitioner who specializes in adult gerontology, and I practice in Central Virginia. It's an honor to serve as your guest host today. We do not often think of grandma, grandpa, or other elderly loved ones as needing mental health support. And while most older adults enjoy good mental health, consider this. Statistics from the National Council on Aging report that those 85 years and older have the highest suicide rate of any age group. Our guests today have devoted their careers to mental health. I have nurse practitioners Dr. Lisa Kelleher and Christina Jennings, who work with patients in senior living communities and nursing homes across Virginia. Welcome, Lisa and Christina. Hello. I want to give our listeners a quick overview of your very distinguished backgrounds before we jump in. Lisa earned her doctorate of nursing practice from York University with specialization as a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. She earned her nursing degree from Northeastern University, a bachelor's of science in community and social justice with Guilford College, and a master's of science in human services from Northeastern University. Christina also is a psychiatric nurse practitioner. She earned a bachelor's of nursing from Norfolk State University. She then specialized in psychiatric mental health, earning a master's from Walden University. Before entering healthcare, Christina served in the United States Air Force. Our first question, ladies, this is going to be for you, Lisa. What drew you to this specialty?
1: Well, it was a later on in life specialty. I've been a nurse for a very long time, but I went into nurse practitioner and psychiatric nurse practitioner about five years ago. I had worked a long time in critical care and the emergency department. I knew that I always preferred to work with disenfranchised populations and people who were not well served in society. And when I first took a contract in a mental health clinic, which was on a bet, actually, I bet that I wouldn't like it at all, and I lost $20 on that. Um, and $20 was a lot then. It's a lot for me now. <laughs> but um, I really did think that this was where I belonged. And I stayed with it and then went back to school to get my doctorate.
0: Good. Good. Thank you. And, Christina, what drew you to this specialty? Well, what drew me is
2: that um, I originally was working at um, the VA hospital at McGuire's um, in um, Richmond, Central Virginia, And there was a lady that would always say, good morning, beautiful. And she would say that to all the patients. She would say that all to the staff. And just saying them words helped a lot of people's moods change. And I felt like I would like to be able to also serve the community in somewhere, um, just making them feel better. So I felt um, sometimes just communicating, uh, good morning. How you doing? it helps change the person's mental outlook for that very day. So that drew me into mental, um, being a nurse practitioner and also being able to um, give people some good hope when it comes to um, mental illness.
0: Okay, thank you. Our communities are fortunate that you both chose this path, especially as more and more patients are in need. While most older adults enjoy good mental health, I want to share a few statistics I researched. About one in five older adults currently experience depression, anxiety, insomnia, substance use, or another mental health disorder. According to the World Health Organization, the most common mental and neurological disorders among people age 60 and older are dementia and depression. Christina, in general, what are the most common needs you're addressing with your patients today? The common needs
2: that I'm addressing with my patients is um, depression is an um, insomnia. And also um, I would see a lot of adjustment disorders, um, leaving their homes and moving into the um, assistant living or, or nursing homes is a big change for them. So uh, adjusting and also with depressed is what I see a lot with them and also um, sleep, sleeping disorders is what I see with most of my patients.
0: Okay. And Lisa, how about you? In general, what are the most common needs you're addressing with your patients?
1: Well, like Christina, I'd have to say oftentimes depression, anxiety, insomnia. I also think there's some particular issues. Um, Substance abuse is kind of a hidden problem in the elderly. We don't like to think of them. You don't want to think that grandma's Drinking too much. Also, uh, polypharmacy is a major issue, and that can be with medical medication, psychiatric, or both. Um, Substance abuse looks different in the elderly. It might involve doctor shopping, and usually the substances abused are prescriptions. Mm -hmm. But if you get them from seven different doctors, you might have a problem. Um, Then there are the the grieving issues, uh, that sense of... as Christina mentioned, the adjustment issues and a lot of that involves grieving, grieving your independence, things that you used to be able to do. Um chronic pain sometimes is an issue that people grieve about. And I think there were some unique to the pandemic mm-hmm. that made a lot of these issues worse. Absolutely. Yes. I, I agree.
0: What are some of the causes of depression and addiction in this older population, Lisa?
1: Um, a lot of it is loneliness, isolation. Um, feeling that one is not useful anymore. And we have a culture that doesn't always, well, mostly doesn't value aging. We don't value that experience or that uh, the wisdom that many generations ago, and especially the indigenous people in this country that valued um, the older folks. We don't really do that. So they feel like they're not of any use. Um, And as I said, the pandemic did accelerate those issues a lot. Um, one of the other things I have noticed and it impacts, uh, a lot of that is sometimes the, um, abuse of the elderly or in, that can be financial. And there's a lot of financial
0: exploitation that goes on, mm-hmm. especially since the pandemic, mm-hmm. a lot of family members. Yeah. Correct. And Christina, how about you? What are some of the causes of depression and addiction in the population that you're seeing today? Um,
2: I would have to piggyback on what Lisa said it would be financial um a, a financial abuse and also um uh substance use and um definitely grieving and adjustment in um when it comes to um dealing with depression with them. yes,
0: I agree is it harder to detect depression, addiction, or other mental health issues with our senior citizens, Lisa?
1: Yes. Um, they don't meet the stereotypical thinking that we have about what an addict or an alcohol looks like, um, partly because of the amount of isolation. People can hide a lot of things, and we just don't expect it until you take out someone's trash for them and it's you know all liquor bottles. Uh, but people tend not to think that in, as I think I said before, often the abuses of prescription medications. Um, Mental health issues are just harder because people want to hide them. And if you're an older person, you really want to hide them. You don't want someone to take your driver's license. You don't want someone to take control of your
0: finances. Mm -hmm. And how about you, Christina?
2: Well, my experience is is a little different um, when it comes to detecting um, mental health um, support that address any patient's needs. Um, because I feel like a lot of people are guarded with their information. And I guess after you continue to build a rapport with the patient and get a really, really good, good um, interview with them and ask questions, you can kind of find a little hit, hidden different things that they are doing. And with collateral information, which would involve the family as well and other supportive information, I, I, I kind of think you can get some kind of a picture where it's going after you assess them. And, and that's really based on the interview and the collateral information. And also um, the patient getting up close to trust you with that information. Cause a lot of times they don't open up but ask you keep continue going with them. They start, you know, feeling a little bit more comfortable talking about, you know, their experiences and what they used to do, which they think is normal of having a glass of wine every day or drinking a whiskey every night to go to sleep. And and as you get to talk to them more, they kind of give you signals on what's really going on and, and seeing the picture. So I think it's no different with me in interviewing anybody when it comes to trying to um, get that information it, it's just like going in front of a judge you know you're giving them what you got and it's up to us to kind of kind of get I play devil's advocate and get that information from them so use different techniques of gathering the information um, and that's what I've been doing you know. To get to see what my patients is and then you could see that they did have a drinking problem or they are having depression related to but they are guarded and they are very private um, but they and that's what anybody um first coming in to any practice they kind of try to they don't want you to know everything but they know they need help so that's my experience um, with it
0: do you find there is more reluctance with this older population and generation to seek help, or perhaps even know how to ask for help, Christina? I think
2: um, because of the stigma that was in mental health so much um, has changed. But from my experience and what I've seen, they they, they want help, and they are kind of afraid of different symptoms that they're going through. Like some of them do hear voices with their depression. So they're kind of scared. They do know they need help, but they don't want to take any more medication. They're really scared of the medication part than actually telling us what's going on. They don't want to try the medication because a a lot of medication back in, um, I want to say back there used to have a lot of bad side effects, but you know, with the Newer studies and medication is lesser side effects, but it's still some side effects with medication. And everybody is hesitant when it comes to starting any kind of um, SSR or any kind of antipsychotic medication. Is fear in medication when it comes to mental health? So I think that they are more open when it comes to the interview process, but medication, it, they're not really open to that. It's, it still needs time. For them to trust that this will help them get better.
0: Sure. No, I agree. I think they have a problem with it making them mm-hmm. labeled as a, a mental health patient and they don't like to hear those words. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what about you, Lisa? Do you find that there is more reluctance with this population seeking help? Yeah.
1: It's, often it depends on everybody's unique cultural and social background. Um, and we can't kind of put the elderly in one box that, you know, everybody over 65 is all alike. They all have different things. Sometimes it's long-held religious beliefs. Um, you know, well, I can't do this because I must not have prayed hard enough. And if I just pray harder, I'm not going to need any medicine. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, sometimes there's, depending on where the person is from originally, and being that this is a military area, there's a lot of especially in the older generations here a lot of people are not originally from the united states and they married a serviceman um so they've been here for years but oftentimes what was home when you were young is what you're more attached to and th- that belief system if you were in japan or germany or south korea that's the s- belief system that you hold on to um, mm-hmm. so there are some issues with that
0: but it it is just a person-by-person thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Healthcare care has improved to better screen for mental health needs. For example, during an annual primary care wellness visit, it's becoming more routine for a provider to ask if a patient is feeling depressed. What else do you think we can do to better integrate mental health support into the healthcare mix, Lisa? I think they need to
1: ask about domestic abuse in, in all situations. And that can be a caretaker, but... It could be a couple that have been married forever, and maybe the husband was abusive sometimes, but he wasn't home much. And now there are people who were kind of holding it together, but now they're just sometimes the togetherness part is not working as well as one had hoped, or the husband has feels like he's lost status, or the wife. I mean, because women are get pretty far in the work world now, that they've lost something because they're not doing what they used to do or um, any kind of variable like like that. But I think, you know, or asking questions about who's managing your money. Do you feel like anybody might be taking something from you? And that can open a door not only to, are the, is there financial exploitation, but is the person paranoid because there isn't any? And so there's often a lot, it's takes detective work almost to ferret out what's really
0: going on. it does those basic screening questions mm-hmm. do not open for conversation yeah.
1: and of course you'd want to do some some screening for dementia. I think people get really guarded about that.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree, and Christina, what about you? What else do you think we can do to better integrate mental health support into the healthcare mix? I
2: agree with Lisa I mean um accent. Asking- Uh, a little bit more questions, but as the, definitely it is a start um, by asking the patient, are they feeling what they're feeling? um, Are they feeling sad or day or how your day is, is a start. Um, But also I agree, um, definitely if if there's any trauma, but like people are real guarded, even coming into the medical setting, and you ask them questions, they're just scared to open up and trust. You know that there is they've been dealing with this situation for so long. Um, that's a good question. How do we get them to open up to to let us in to help them? They've been holding on to this and dealing with this for years, probably. Um, but I, I like the fact that 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 um, medicals or medical um, facilities are asking. Um, if you feel like you're a suicide or you're depressed, uh, I do think that's really a good start. I mean, we still got a lot more work to do to integrate that, but it's a start right now to get, because it's hard to get questions out of patients that are afraid of what's going to happen, or they don't want to get that person in trouble, or they don't want to be labeled. Um, we're still having to deal with the stigma of mental illness. It's just still there, even though people are more aware of it. We still need the government to get more and more involved in mental illness and put it on the forefront so we can stop this. This stigma is just so bad right now. We're afraid to say how we feel. Um, Right.
0: And the availability of mental health care is lacking at the moment. Um, okay, moving on. What advice can you give the family members of older adults to look for signs and symptoms, Lisa? Um, There could be a whole number of things. If
1: you're uh, backing up on what Christina said about suicide, you want to um, be kind of aware of that. I would say I'd probably want to know if there were firearms in someone's home especially if they have any sort of issues, dementia even, you really don't need that to be there. Um, and, you know, that ups your risk a whole lot because an impulsive decision mm-hmm. with a firearm is very different than an impulsive decision with some pills. Um, not that one is better than the other, but one is certainly more deadly. Um, you could look maybe for appetite changes. There are a lot of eating disorders that are more specific to the elderly, and some of that is just due to aging or people just don't feel as well. Um, If you had a person who you, a family member who you drove them places and they were going to a number of different doctors in different locations of the same specialty, I'd probably be wondering why. Uh, Because sometimes people can have polypharmacy not of controlled substances, but of any number of things. Mm -hmm. And if a person is having some dementia, and, of course, the more substances you take, the more dementia you might They all sort of back into each other and contribute. Um, That... You have to kind of be aware of all those things.
0: And Christina, um, can you chime in on this too? Just, you know, letting family members know what to be alerted to for older adults to look for signs and symptoms of mental health disorders.
2: Yes. Um, I would say what I would look in for is the same thing. I always ask them about their appetite. If they're eating, uh, not their eating appetite change. If they're sleeping, um, not sleeping or sleeping too much. I mean, they're always sleeping. Um, Look for that, you know, if they seem to be always sleeping, just not active like they were before, and they're just always trying, I'm tired, I'm tired. Maybe they're not sleeping at night, or um, maybe they're just, just don't want to do anything. Um, I would look for them, them signs too. I also would look for if they were trying to get rid of things, like get everything in order, like sell things, sell get rid of their dog or anything, if that was related to them trying to um, commit suicide. So um, look for things like that. I, w- I would say f- them are some things that family members could do. Anything that you see suspicious that they're changing, if they keep trying to go in the same door or they're forgetting things or stay gone at the store too long, maybe they're not remembering how to get back home. Um, just a lot of s- anything relating to safety be on the lookout for that with them.
0: Next question. How can family members of aging parents or other loved ones support them when they are trying to take care of their mental health needs? Often people feel like they don't have the skills to help. Lisa, what would you suggest?
1: I think just common sense, kindness, visit people. If you can't visit them, check in with them. Um, Sometimes the isolation of older people is that we're not from the tech generation, okay? I say that for myself, too, as you all know, <laughs> um, so that some of the things that help you stay connected to people might not work. And then be creative in finding ways for that person to feel useful. Um, if you have a problem with your child, you know, even if you can say, what, what did you do when this happened? You know, what... Or... Um, can you give me that recipe or take up an art project with somebody that just things that they realize um, that you do value them mm-hmm. and not because, you know, you're waiting mm-hmm. to collect on their will or whatever. I mean, <laughs> because there are people that do that. Sure. Um sure. But just being thoughtful and just showing that not only that you care about them, but that they are valuable. Everyone wants to be yes. valuable. Uh-huh. Yes, sure.
0: And Christina, how would you contribute to that as well? About um making them feel loved and supported when trying to take care of their mental health needs.
2: I agree with Lisa. I, I think that getting them involved, activities, and getting them, making them feel part of the family. Um, not leaving them out because they often feel like nobody is paying attention to them, or they're not useless, or they're use, they're not useful because. They're not as fast as they used to be or they don't remember everything, but get them involved with the family. I mean, if you can take them places, try to take them, you know, for walks in the mall and let them just sit there. Well, right now, not because of COVID, but when that's over, like we can go back out and the and and do things because they want to be a part, just as part of of the family. Um and I and, and isolation is like the worst. For them to be alone and you're going to the store and you're going and say, What do you want me to pick up? You know, let them go eventually and go pick up their own stuff. You know, they they need to be that and keep a calendar around. Make sure you let them know the day and the time and give them their mail. Don't, you know, just give them the mail. Here's your mail. Let, let them open it up and let them be a part of stuff. Um, so they will feel that they're valuable because everybody wants to have something in place. Even the elderly wants that as well.
0: Sure. I agree. What are some everyday strategies people can engage in to improve their overall mental health?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, So there's some that are very simple. A friend of mine is a Tai Chi instructor. So I'm going to give that a plug. That is a excellent exercise for any age and is really particularly good for balance. Um, For people that are more flexible, you know, yoga, Pilates, those, just taking a walk, having a pet that you have to take care of and walk is very useful. Some people like to play chess. Some people like, there might be a craft that somebody did years ago that they can pick up again because they didn't have time before. And, you know, just find ways to engage your time and not just with sitting in front of the TV, but with things that are um, fun and interesting, and everybody has that ability, reading, you know, what whatever a person likes. If you have to have adaptive print books or certain types of, th- there's plenty of adaptations and, and equipment that people can get to be as independent as they possibly can, and that's always useful. Take up a brand new skill.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you have any input on that, Christina? on strategies she, that um, people she said can it all. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. She yes. kind of basically said everything that there
2: is to do. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way that she was saying, exercise is definitely um, take a walk, book, read. I remember that it used to be a lot of bingo um, places. If they would have more bingos and transportation for them to get out, you know, once a month and stuff, they'll look forward to that or different things. Um, so I think activities is, is definitely strategies and, um, besides television, of course, they, a lot of them like television shows that the game shows, they love them. Um, but yeah, activities busy.
0: Okay. Well, thank you. Those are definitely excellent recommendations Our conversation today has been really eye-opening and educational, and I thank you and Lisa and Christina. Our communities are very fortunate to have healthcare specialists like you in their communities. Well, this concludes the Legacy Lamp podcast sponsored by Legacy Care. Legacy Care is a medical group that includes physicians and advanced care practitioners who deliver patient care in 10 states. We work very hard to transform healthcare, offering solutions to some of medicine's most challenging issues with compassion. Visit lgslegacycare.com to learn more and find archived copies of this show. Thanks for listening.